Thank you, Cheryl, for the reading. That Paul speaks with very long sentences sometimes. So he handled that very well. Uh, yes, perfect. Okay. So, uh, hashtag blessed became a trend a number of years ago. Um, so you would begin to see social media posts all over the place with the tagline, hashtag blessed. Um, these blessed photos could be anything from a newborn baby uh, to a beautiful sunrise, arriving at church um, on a hot day like this, to just ice cream in hand, um, or simply having a barista-made coffee to drink. Uh, all these things meant that your life was hashtag blessed. Um, just in this past week, I saw a car with a personalized number plate that was just the word blessed, uh, with some, some of the letters changed into numbers, as they love to do on number plates. Um, and I saw another car that just had in pink writing, blessed, written across the back windscreen as well. It's coming up everywhere now. Um, so it's not at all a bad thing to be thankful for such things as Macca's ice creams and newborn babies. Um, but the hashtag blessed trend is really a little bit empty. Uh, I found this t-shirt. You probably won't be able to read it, so I'm going to read it for you. It says, um, the definition of blessed is feeling good or having something good happen to you. Um, so when people are remarking that they are blessed, rather than having any connection to God or faith, it simply means my life's good uh, and I want you to know about it, but I'll show you behind a thin veil of me being thankful. Um, but the question is then, who are they thankful to? Are they thankful to themselves for their blessing? Are they thankful to luck or simple good fortune? Well, as Christians, we of course believe that blessings in life come from God. As it says in the Bible, every good and perfect gift is from above. Uh, this afternoon, we're gonna be looking at blessings. It's all the way through Ephesians chapter one. Um, and these are the big blessings. So not just getting an ice cream on a hot day, but the big blessings that the Bible teaches us about. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he begins his letter by laying out the blessings that Christians receive as followers of Jesus. And then Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians. In doing so, Paul teaches the Ephesians and now us a lot about the relationship between blessing and prayer. So as we look at Ephesians 1 today, uh, we ask the question, how do we respond to the blessings that we receive in the gospel? How do we pray as those who are, in fact, hashtag blessed? First, we're going to um, look in Ephesians 1 at the blessings that we've received, and then we're going to look at the way we pray in response, uh, and I'll finish by thinking through three implications of praying as those who are blessed. Before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you now to teach us by your word that we would know you better with our minds, love you better with our hearts, and serve you better with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, keep it open at Ephesians 1. I'll be putting what I say on the screen, um, but it will be helpful for you to have the verses in front of you as well as you test what I say against God's word for yourselves. So first, as I said, we're exploring the blessings we receive, looking at the first half of chapter one. So verse three says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
This is a good verse for us to unpack first because Paul introduces the theme of blessing uh, and each part of this verse works together to help us understand what is going on. First, the subject of Paul's praise is God the Father. Throughout this passage, we will see the intricate unity of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as they are all involved in glorifying God and blessing God's people. Uh, But it all happens because it is the Father's will, and so God praises the Father. More on that shortly. So it says, The Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms. God has not blessed us with trinkets or toys, nor money, possessions, or any earthly thing. For our blessings are not found here, but in the heavenly realms. The Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. That's what we're going to unpack as we go on in chapter 1, so I won't go into detail now. We put it all together. The Father has blessed the God in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How is it that God can bless us in this way? It is achieved and fulfilled, purchased and offered to us in Christ. What we're talking about here is absolutely incredible. This is the very peak of blessing. This goes far beyond any worldly joy that we could possibly gain. And as we go on in chapter one and Paul unpacks these blessings, it only becomes more and more wonderful. We're going to read on from verse four. And as we do so, uh, we're going to see how God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in the work of blessing us. Uh, So we're going to work our way through. Uh, As we go, I'll clarify at times who's talking. Um, So reading from verse 3, one more time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What are these blessings? Paul goes on. For he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he, which is God again, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Again, Burke. As I mentioned before, notice that God the Father is at work. All of this is happening Verse 5, according to his will and pleasure, and according to his glorious grace. Verse 6, God the Father is at work. God the Son is the one through whom the Father achieves his purposes. See, in each verse we've just read, uh, Paul writes that God chose us in Jesus, verse 4, adopted us through Jesus, verse 5, and has freely given us his grace in the one he loves, Jesus. As the passage goes on, Paul writes in him, or a variation of that, in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Jesus is the centerpiece of God's master plan. So as we go on now, continue to take notice of these two things, that God is the master craftsman and how he achieves his designs through Jesus. Let's continue from verse 7. In him, this is Jesus again, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity, the things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
Take a breath. The word lavished in verse 8 uh, is just a wonderful underused word that we don't even appreciate anymore in our time. Lavished. Uh, it comes from Latin roots, uh, which then turned into French words. Uh, the French words mean to wash or a flood of rain. So Paul is describing a figurative downpour of God's grace that pours down on us and washes us clean through the blood of Jesus. It's also helpful to note at this point that uh, every spiritual blessing from verse 3 that we're receiving in Christ by God's will is something that we don't experience fully yet. As Paul says in verse 10, this is all to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And as he said back in verse 3, these blessings, they're in the heavenly realms in Christ, where we're not yet. The realities that we are reading in this passage are absolutely true right now. We are redeemed now. We are chosen, adopted, forgiven, included in Christ right now. But what we experience of that here on earth is only a partial fulfillment of what is to come, and what is to come is far beyond our imagination. We can't fully comprehend how incredible it will be when Jesus returns and all things in heaven and on earth, when the time be under him. It's beyond our imagination now, but praise God that when the time comes, we will see and we will understand and our unity under Christ will be fulfilled and awesome. Let's keep going with verse 11. In him, Jesus, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Take a breath again. Uh, this is a passage that is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, it should leave us breathless to see the scope of the blessings that we receive from God through Jesus and by the Spirit. So while we catch our breath, let's take a quick break and talk about mansplaining. Uh, if you haven't heard the term before, the basic definition is that mansplaining is when a man talks condescendingly, usually to a woman, about something that he has incomplete knowledge about, and often the woman he's speaking to has better knowledge of the topic than he does. Mansplaining. I could give you an example of mansplaining right now if I just keep going with this explanation about what mansplaining is, just to make sure that you all get it, especially since you wouldn't understand what mansplaining was unless I explain it to you in detail. You simply won't get it unless I explain it some more. Um, you may or may not have been on the receiving end of mansplaining um, in some context or another. You've all kind of just been on the receiving end of it, so there you go. Um, the label mansplaining also has its problems, and the whole concept is a reflection of the fall and sinful people communicating with sinful people. That's not what I'm here to get into. I only mention this as a way of pointing out that while mansplaining is the act of condescendingly explaining something that doesn't need to be explained, the gospel is something that we are totally reliant on God for us to understand what is going on. It can't be explained to us enough. So all of us, men and women alike, cannot understand the gospel without help. 
We need the gospel to be laid out for us. And more than that, we need the Holy Spirit to come into our lives so that we can both comprehend the gospel and receive the gospel. Ephesians 1 confirms this for us. Remember back in verse 9, we read that God reveals the truth to us. The work of the Father through the Son is something that we can receive and understand only by the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of explaining that I'm happy to understand. Uh, And thanks be to God that he would take us by the hand and drag us all the way through to understanding and accepting salvation in the gospel. And it's not mansplaining, it's all blessing. Paul also shows us another work, another blessing, um, as we see the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14 here, Paul says that Christians are sealed, locked into salvation by no less than the Holy Spirit himself. As the Spirit brings us to a saving knowledge of repentance and faith, then the Spirit is again at work as he comes into our lives and acts like a seal, a guarantee of our new status as heirs with Christ. So while we don't yet fully experience the blessings we receive in the gospel, God has sent a deposit to us, his spirit in us, that we might know that we look forward to that future hope. So, God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing through God the Son. That is, God lavishes his grace on us by choosing us, adopting us, forgiving us, and redeeming us through Jesus, all of which he reveals to us by his spirit, showing us our need for a savior and sealing us forever in this hope as we look forward to the future where we'll experience these blessings fully. Absolutely mind-blowing. And we've covered a lot of ground very fast. Thank goodness we have the spirit in us to help us understand. What was his name? Um, But now we can reflect on this and go, after writing all of that, how did Paul respond? What was his next move? Verse 15 says, for this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul says, for this reason, for everything I've just written, because I've heard you believe in what I've just said and you're living it out, and because we await the day when we see it fulfilled, I have not stopped praying for you. There is only one response that we can have to this mind-blowing gospel, and that is to pray. As is the case with every written prayer in the Bible, what Paul prays here teaches us how to pray ourselves. So let's look through what Paul prays, reading on from verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. First, Paul asks that the spirit will give the Ephesians wisdom and understanding to know God better. Paul is not asking that they would receive a special new revelation about God, um, but, but that they would come to understand more and more, as the Spirit reveals it to them, the gloriousness of the one true God they read of, or they hear, they've heard of from Paul. How can this happen for us now? God better, since Paul can't come and tell us, we read the Bible. To know God better is to learn of his character, which is on display in his word, as he rescues his people over and over in the Old Testament, as he speaks through his prophets to warn, to teach, to guide his people. And above all, the character of God is on display in the life of Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And so Paul prays that the Ephesians would know God better. Reading on, verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In the Bible, the heart is synonymous for the mind, will, and spirit. So Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that the eyes of their heart would be open, is that all of their very being will be opened to a deeper understanding of the hope that God has called them to, which is the glorious inheritance that Christians enter into through Jesus. There is a pattern to notice here as Paul is praying. Paul seems to be praying for the things that the Ephesians presumably already know. They already know God because they trust in Jesus and they already know the hope. They have to know the hope to be Christians in the first place. Paul knows that they know this and and he said as much in verse 15. The reason he's praying is because he heard that they know the hope. But coming to a deep before, Paul is praying that they will know it more and more continually coming to a deeper understanding of the depth of the hope they have in Christ, because that is what will hold them firm, that is what will fill them with hope, that is what will give them deep roots of assurance and confidence in their faith. It's like how we felt after reading the first half of the passage. Breathless and, wow, we just took in so much information and this gospel is huge and incredible. So Paul's prayer is being realized in this room as we read this letter again and for ourselves once more come back and say, wow, how incredible, how stunning is the grace of God, how abundant is his wisdom, how good is God. The thing that we're having at this point could also be described as a light bulb moment. Uh, Let me tell you a story about Altissimo. Uh, Altissimo is an advanced technique on the saxophone. I imagine probably not many of you are saxophone players out there, um, though some of you are. Um, So saxophones have a set range of notes based on the number of keys you can press down. Once you reach the top, that's as high as you can go, except for altissimo. Then you have to learn some wacky fingerings and change the way you're blowing and change the shape of your mouth, uh, and you unlock a whole stack of annoyingly high squeaky notes. Um, And for some reason, I had to learn how to play this. Huge, uh, And I will tell you with full honesty that it was a huge pain and a huge struggle, and I tore my hair out over trying to learn altissimo. I spent two years trying and trying, and at the end of that point, I could squeak out one note, a high G. Um, Don't get me wrong, playing altissimo G is still playing altissimo, so I was stoked. Um, But then I got to university uh, where I studied the saxophone, and I spent my whole first year, again, working more and more on this altissimo saxophone, trying and trying to play more of these high notes. Different teachers explained different ways of thinking about it and achieving the technique. I read articles, teaching methods, books, watched tutorial videos on YouTube, all in my efforts to get how to play Altissimo. Finally, one day, I had a light bulb moment. A particular explanation from a particular teacher just clicked, and bam, suddenly I could play a whole range of those super high, super annoying notes. My sisters loved me. But then I got to spend the next two years at university working on it more, refining and developing the technique until I got to my final recital at the conservatorium and I played a piece I'd always wanted to play that was full of altissimo notes and big slides and all kinds of crazy things. And without that light bulb moment after one year at university, I wouldn't have been able to play that piece. I wouldn't have gotten there and understood how to play altissimo. That was a moment in your light bulb moment for me in my saxophone learning journey. I'm sure you've all had light bulb moments in your lives too, um, about many varying things. 
The wonderful thing that we're seeing here in Ephesians is that when it comes to God's word, to learn about him and the gospel of Jesus Christ, every time we read the Bible, it's another light bulb moment. We get a light bulb moment, we get a light bulb moment, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb moment. Um, and over and over again, we are renewed in realizing how wonderful God is, how great the gospel is. The heavenly electricity bill is rising through the roof because the light bulb moments in the church are just coming off more and more again and again as Christians come to know with more depth and with more understanding who God is and how he has so wonderfully saved us. And this is why we come back to God's word all the time. And that's why we pray all the time, just as Paul did, that God would continue to be at work in us by his spirit to bring us to a deeper knowledge and love of him. Let's keep going with verse 19. Uh, halfway through verse 19, I should say. Um, as we go through this bit, we see Paul's last prayer point in this passage. Uh, last in the list of things that Paul prays is that the Ephesians would know, uh, is that they would know God's incomparably great power. I could try and illustrate God flexing his cosmic muscles. So let's read. Or, like Paul, I can use the ultimate example that we read in these verses. So let's read this passage. Paul says that we would know, from verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What's the situation here? Uh, it's basically this. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's true. God raises Christ up from the dead and from the earth to sit at God's right hand above every power and authority, above every made-up God and idol from now until forever. This would have been hugely reassuring for the Ephesians because their Greek culture believed in many gods. Particularly in Ephesus, they believed in the goddess Artemis, the daughter of Zeus. Artemis had a temple just up the road from Ephesus uh, and there was an annual festival in Ephesus in her honor. So as the Ephesians were surrounded by and faced with comparisons between their faith in the God of the Bible and the gods, goddesses, and countless religious practices of their culture and their families and their friends, Paul shows them in this letter beyond any doubt that all God, our worldly hope and powers fade in comparison to the gospel of the one true and living God. And as the Ephesians are filled with this confidence in the Lord God Almighty, Paul finishes chapter one by describing the situation that God has put them in as they live and follow Jesus under the rule of the king. I don't actually have this verse. That's all right. So verse 22 says, oh, no, it's up there, it's up there. Verse 22 says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So just like the Ephesians, we know that we have not yet experienced the fullness of God's blessings. We also know that we live in a world that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't follow God, and constantly throws temptation and idolatry and worldly standards at us. But here is the great reassurance. Jesus Christ is king over everything for the church. We are his body and he fills us as his church. Jesus shed his blood for the Ephesians and for you and for me on the cross, and through him, God has done everything for our salvation, and then he set Jesus over us as king, and that king is filling the church that follows him here on earth. 
Our hope cannot be taken away or broken by the world because Jesus reigns over all of it right now. Things that are received. We've talked through the second half of this chapter how Paul prays in response to the blessings that are received by God's people. He's prayed that we would know God better, that we would know the hope, the rich inheritance that we have through Jesus, that we would know God's almighty power and know that Jesus is King who fills his church. I want to finish this afternoon just by thinking through some of the implications that come from praying blessed. That is, there are things for us to draw out of the passage as we learn to pray as those who are blessed by God with every spiritual blessing. So first... Let's pray big prayers. And I don't mean asking God for a yacht. In verse 3, we're told that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing through Jesus. Paul's response is to pray, and he prays these big prayers for the Ephesians. He prays that what is true would become truer and truer in their hearts and their minds. As well as this, in verse 19, Paul reminds us that we pray to a powerful God. We can bring the biggest prayers before this God and know that they are not beyond him. I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying at all that small prayers are wrong or useless or unhelpful or unvalued by God. God is so big that there is no request too small that he will not hear it. God loves for us to bring before him all the concerns on our hearts, big and small. And as a loving father, he cares for our every need. But what we're encouraged and, and should passage is that Paul prays big prayers and we can and should bring big prayers before God. We thank him for the great gospel hope we have. We ask him to grow that hope in us. We trust in his mighty power and we ask for him to grow the church. Let's pray big. Second, let's pray intentionally. In in verse 16, Paul says that he has not stopped giving thanks for the Ephesians. And then in verse 17, he says he keeps bringing his requests before God. How good is it when our response to all things in life is to pray? Communication is a two-way street. So just like Paul, let's keep talking to God bringing our requests before him, continuing to thank him, continuing to praise him in prayer. As we seek to do this, here's a simple phrase to equip your prayer life. Let's pray about that. You hear a Christian brother or sister is struggling, why don't we pray about that? You hear good news, let's thank God for that. Someone is stressed or dealing with a big workload, let's bring that before God. Have you ever said to someone, I'll pray for you, and then the next time you see them, you inwardly cringe because you realize you didn't follow through at all? In Ephesians 1, Paul doesn't just say, I'll be praying for you, Ephesians, and leaves it at that. Paul says, I am praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you, and here's why I'm praying for you, and I'm going to keep praying it for you. Such wonderful, intentional prayerfulness that now has become a wonderful teaching for us. Let's pray intentionally. I'm definitely not. Lastly, let's pray as those who are chosen. Uh, predestination is a big topic and I'm definitely not going deeply into it except to refer to what Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 1. Notice the way that Paul writes in the past tense for so much of this first chapter. The work of salvation is done. Jesus is on the throne and we are sealed already into that inheritance by the Holy Spirit. That has all already happened. So we don't pray hopefully, asking that God might follow through on his promises, we pray full of hope to the God who has guaranteed us all these things. And then also in verse 4, it says, God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in, in his sight. I can't even tell you what I'm having for dinner tomorrow night, although we do have leftover chicken, so it's probably that. Um, 
I can't tell you what we're having for dinner the night after that. Um, yet before the creation of the entire world, God chose us in Jesus Christ to be saved and to be his people. This means that we can pray with incredible certainty and also with great humility. God did not choose me because I can play altissimo on the saxophone, nor did God choose me because I like teaching and understanding the Bible. I have done nothing to qualify myself for salvation except to live the sinful life I need salvation from. So I come before God in humble thankfulness as I pray to him, my Savior God who has blessed me far beyond what I deserve. So let's pray as those who are chosen. Friends, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If there's anyone who has a claim to being hashtag blessed, and I hope I never have to say that again in my life, it is the people of God. We do not deserve it. We do not earn it. He freely offers this hope to anyone who would accept it. And who accept, they, those who accept it are restored to a relationship with their heavenly father who invites us to speak to him in prayer. So why don't we pray about that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the great God of all, of all time and all creation and all people. Lord, we praise you for your great gospel and for your great plan of raising up the Lord Jesus to be king over all things and king over us, your church. Lord, we can hardly comprehend the greatness of your gospel and the great depths of you and your power. So we pray that you will, by your spirit, fill us and continue to teach us these wonderful truths all the rest of our days. Lord, please continue to bring us greater and greater knowledge of your word, greater and greater trust in you and your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.